Welcome to TT from the D Podcast Show. I'm your host, TT, and I want to thank you in advance for joining me on this awesome, awesome evening. Whatever you had to do today to get here, I am thankful. Whether you're working virtually from home or you're working in the brick and mortar, whatever that looks like, I'm certainly happy that you landed here to enjoy an evening filled with some very interesting conversation from an amazing young lady. Before I get my show started, you know I love to get housekeeping out the way. So I like to refer to this show as the Grown and Sexy Show, where we will talk about everything and anything. No holes barred. I'm here to allow this platform to serve as a outlet for people to learn, grow, be encouraged, motivated, and hopefully allow shackles to be broken from their feet and their hands. So with that being said, like myself, I like to unwind with a nice glass of wine. And normally I have my cellar rolled up, but today I decided to be grown and have a glass of Riesling. Okay. Okay. And so for all my beer drinkers, I know I have my beer drinkers because I get the messages like, hey, don't forget about us. I don't. I'm not. I won't. Okay. So also those that just said I've had a rough day or I just want to chill, you might want to get a cup of coffee, your tea, or whatever your choice of beverage is. Bottom line is, I want you to enjoy yourself. Therefore, I'm asking you to go ahead and get your stuff. You know how this goes. Make sure you have it right at your fingertips or you have the ability to listen to this show because you're not going to want to miss anything that my special guest has to say to you. And why? Because she's simply amazing. Now, let me give you a little bit of history about her. First of all, I was stalking her on social media, okay? I actually thought she was someone else when I saw her photo come across my timeline. And I thought, oh my God, that's this young lady that I met at an award show last year that was with one of the late great uh, Motown writers. And so I looked, I'm like, oh no, that's not her. I was like, she looks just like her. So I was like, okay, let me, let me see what she's talking about. So as I started to look at her page, I was interested. And I was thinking like, wow, she does a whole lot. So then I decided, let me go and be a little bit more nosier and let me go ahead and look at her website, which I was like, oh my God. So I was like, on a serious note, she definitely has a lot to offer someone like myself, considering I like to bring very informative information to my listeners so we can be, as I said earlier, encouraged, motivated, and enlightened. And so I said, you know what, let me humble myself and reach out to her. And the worst she could do is say, no, no, I'm not interested. And I would say, okay, humbly, thank you. I appreciate it. And then I would have kept on moving. But this young lady was very responsive. And I was super excited because she's all the way in Florida. She's way out in Fort Myers, Florida. Now, you know, we're here in Detroit and I frequent Florida every other year. And due to the pandemic, I had I didn't get the chance to go last year, but I'm looking forward to it this year. And I told my husband, I said, you know, I hope that I get the chance to actually meet her in person one day. So whether that be this year or next year, it's definitely on my mini bucket list. So my guest is an author of an amazing book. Actually, she has two books, but we're going to touch on one of them this evening. And I'll let her introduce that. I won't give the title away just yet, but it's phenomenal. The cover alone, the title, will make you pick it up because it's interesting. If nothing else, this cover will say, I want to, oh, and then the title, you're like, oh, and the stamp that's on it, you're like, I'm okay, I'm here for it. I'm here for it, right? 
she is also a wife. She is a mother to an awesome young man. She is a licensed counselor. She's a trauma expert. She's a public speaker. She trains men and women to find their purpose, but to also find their freedom. She's been all over social media. She's also been on Channel 2, Channel 4, Channel 7, multiple magazines. She's been blessed to receive awards and just constantly serve in the sight of an expert in court where she goes and she's there to give her expert advice and her testimony and obviously she's someone that you definitely want to have on your team and if you're not able to be blessed to have her on your team you definitely would definitely look her up if you wanted to have someone to support your theory especially when you're right okay because I think it's safe to say she'll get you all the way together whether you like it or not so without any further ado I really want her to tell you about herself because no one can explain or express themselves better than we can without any further ado I'd like to welcome my guest for the evening Dr. Laura Streffler hello hello Kitty. hi I don't think I could explain myself any better than you just did. I'm very humbled and honored by the introduction. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Laura. Thank you so much. I still have to have them know from your own words who Dr. Laura Scheffler is, the woman, the wife, the counselor, the expert. Well, I think Dr. Laura is somebody who finally turned her pain into purpose. When I was 27 years old, I left an abusive relationship with two suitcases, $175, and I moved Massachusetts to Florida, um, lived in my parents' garage for three months, turned it into what I thought of as a studio apartment, uh, and really started my life over. And when I was young, I was in advertising. And then I decided to volunteer at a domestic violence shelter, ended up working in the shelter. Interestingly enough, I'm sure a lot of the readers are young enough that they may not know who OJ is unless they've seen the miniseries. <laughs> but um, the, <laughs> the OJ um, Simpson murder trial, I was working a domestic violence hotline during the trial and really that trial was the beginning of people really starting to talk about domestic violence regardless which side of the fence they were they were on but it started to open the conversation and um i took my pain and i used it to really try to be the person that I couldn't find for myself. You know, they they say be they say be who you needed when you were younger. Well, when I was younger, I don't know that I realized I needed somebody, but as I get older, I really did. And you know, sometimes it's really hard to find somebody to lean on who, 
either won't fall over or won't betray you. So I ended up working in a shelter and going back to school and getting what I call all the alphabet soup next to my <laughs> name because, you know, when you have it, people think you know more. Um, B, I personally believe what Mark Twain said. I try never to allow my schooling to interfere with my education. Mm -hmm. And I honor what my clients have taught me. Um, I, I love that you called me a young lady, but I'm really not. Um, I've been doing this for 32 years. Um, in a couple of months, I'm going to be 60 oh, wow. years old. Uh, and you don't look yeah. like it at all. <laughs> well, yeah, I, uh, I take pretty good care of myself. I'm really good at self-care. I, you know, I believe if you want to last in this business, I've been working almost exclusively in domestic and sexual violence for the first probably 28 years. Now I do a lot of other things too. Um, but in addition to everything else I was always doing, I've always been working with the victims of domestic and sexual violence. So, you know, you can't be there for people if you're not there for yourself. So, you know, I do a really good job taking care of myself. And, you know, the good news is after leaving a relationship that wasn't working for seven years, I was single. And then, um, you know, I, I met the, the man, he may not be perfect, but he's perfect for me. And I've been happily married for almost 25 years. And I'm one of the happiest married people I know. I love to hear that. Interest Interestingly enough, you know, because I'm such a non-traditionalist in so many ways, my husband and I um, met in court. We met in dependency court. He's an attorney and he was um, the court appointed attorney for one of the families I was working with. And I thought, man, this guy's really fighting, you know, for court appointed, he's really hard, fighting hard for this family. And he is, the, they call him um, Mr. Xanax. He's like the kindest, most balanced, amazing human. I mean, and let me tell you, TT, I'm a pretty tough crowd. So the fact that 25 years later, I still, you know, am as, feel as blessed and enjoy his company um, as much or more than I did when I met him, that, that's quite a bit. Now that melted my, my heart because I love love and, you know, I've looked at tons of your photos and footage and interviews because I like to do my homework on my guests. And I'm like, yeah, she's not to be played with. <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, yeah, yeah. So to hear you say that, um, for someone, it would take, I, I believe, and I haven't met you in person, but I had the pleasure of talking to you the other night. And I believe that it takes a special someone to be able to be with a special someone. And you definitely, like, I didn't know that part of what you said when you did your own intro. I didn't know that you came from trauma and it was your foundation to say, you know what, let me be that voice and all these other things and how things just kind of align themselves. It was like almost the way it was supposed to be. Um, to hear you speak of your husband that way, that makes me smile. Cause like I said, I love love. I'm a, amongst a lot of things I do. I'm a marriage ministry leader, and um, to hear you say that after twenty something years, that you still love your husband that way, you still enjoy his company. I've only been married eight years, and I feel like I enjoy my husband more than I did when I first met him. 
Yeah, because you you you're in that rhythm and you you know kind of just if you're blessed enough to have somebody who can be your safe place, who knows that you like cream in your coffee, who knows to say you don't want lemon um, on your water or your iced tea, because they pay attention. You know, that's a really special something. It is. I agree. You know, when, when I met my husband, people said to me, oh, you know, first of all, they were so shocked because, like I said, I'm a pretty tough crowd. I had two mantras. One, Mr. Right and Mr. Right Now usually aren't the same wow. guy. And, uh, you know, I used, and I always said it takes a mighty good guy to be better than none. Wow. You know, I though, that's, you know, when I was working because... I really liked being on my own. I could take a nap when I wanted. I didn't have to worry about, you know, doing anything. I, my work was my play, was my everything, my passion. Um, and I just was so fulfilled that I figured if a man was going to take away from some of the hours I was spending and the things that I loved, he better be pretty damn special. And so when I finally met somebody, people were like, oh, Laura, I'm so happy for you. You deserve it. And I was like, well, everyone deserves yeah. it. I'm, I'm no more special than anybody else. You know, yes, I waited for it um, and I knew what I wanted. But I think everybody needs to know that they deserve a healthy, loving relationship and they deserve to have the relationship that they want and not just the one that's available because they're afraid if they wait too long um another you know another bus won't come along i agree i i think some people and correct me if i am incorrect or if i'm wrong i should say um some people would rather just be with any kind of person man or woman than alone some it seems like some people are afraid to be alone or with themselves and they jump from relationship to relationship and they don't give themselves the opportunity to heal grow or explore who they are well tt i think that's for a, a lot of different reasons you know a lot of times it's the messages that we have here growing up we we've all heard them and a lot of times people don't know the difference between an inappropriate message, a bullying message, an abusive message, and an untrue message. Mm. You know, so especially when you have a lot of unhealthy, abusive, toxic people in your life, jealous people in your life, especially growing up, and you keep hearing the same message, then you start believing it's true. Mm. And just because somebody says it, or a lot of somebody say it, doesn't mean it's true. But what happens is people start to internalize it as a truth because it's almost a form of brainwashing. And then very often they meet a partner who may or may not be physically abusive or sexually abusive, but may be emotionally and or mentally abusive that reinforces that message. And then they start to believe that if they leave the person that they're with, nobody else is ever going to want them. Mm. And so the you know the devil one the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know and even so if i this may not be the person of my dreams but if i leave this i may have nothing and if i have not no one then that means i am no one and really one of my 
one of my issues triggers whatever I got you know more issues than Vogue sometimes but <laughs> um in fact one of my clients one time said to me Laura I don't have issues I got subscriptions oh wow <laughs> I was like she and you know what she was telling the truth wow, wow. um but um you know is when people use the expression my other half mm -hmm. it, it makes it makes my skin crawl because what it says is i'm not a whole person without another person mm -hmm. and it hurts my heart for them because you're a whole person just like you know in the marriage with the unity candle you light the candle <coughs> excuse me in the middle and you share that special love and relationship and connection but you're still a whole person and if god forbid happens to that person or the relationship runs its course you're still a whole person but unfortunately not everybody feels like a whole person wow you know i i never looked at it that way when people say well that's my better half it's like well so then you suck you know like i'll say something witty like that like so you suck and if that's your better half you must suck but no, I always thought like, oh, okay, like that's your significant other. That's, you know, I like to look at it and say, this is a reflection of me. If I look at my husband, I see greatness. I know there's greatness in me and he feels the same way towards me. But that's just my opinion. It's like, there couldn't have been a better person designed for me because I'm a different type of person so is my husband we have a lot in common a lot of great things and we do a lot of things and at the end of the day that most important tool that I always tell people they should have which is communication is there mm. we could talk about anything everything from from whatever realm we need to touchy situations those tough conversations those simple sweet ones the ones that don't take much effort but when you say it the way you said it I never looked at it and, and felt like oh they don't think of themselves as a whole person or they feel like oh I need him or her because it's a two way street to complete like I'm not whole without you it's like you make me better I'm already great but I'm greater I feel like you enhance whatever it is I got to offer you're helping it even be greater well, but that's the difference between somebody that you look at as your dessert and somebody who's the meat and potatoes. Mm, gotcha. So, so, yeah, and I guess it depends on who's saying it and perception is reality. And I think some people do say it and don't perceive it the way I just shared. But in my experience with a lot of the clients that I've worked with and populations, um, that I've been involved with more often than not, that's the reality. That yeah. Wow. Wow. So it's safe to say that. Yeah, I just I don't know. I, I could talk to you about this kind of stuff all day because I just love relationships. Uh, yeah, I, I can feel that 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 hurt your. Heart. It is. Yeah. It hurts your heart because you know to and. To, to think of that, the other reason that, you know, people don't always move forward after the in an abusive relationship is what we call learned helplessness. Mm. And even though people aren't helpless, what happens is they're told that every decision they make is wrong or everything they've done is wrong or they either get physically assaulted or slapped or hit 
or punished in some way, whether it's verbally, um, something's taken away, um, affection withheld, but they get punished and told that they make the wrong decision. After a while, they either believe they can't make the right decision and that they need a partner to make the important decisions because they don't trust themselves to do it. Um, or they believe that if they make a decision, they're afraid somehow someone's going to punish them. So they just stop making decisions and things don't get done without somebody else there to do it. Wow. 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 I bet you a lot of people can relate to that in one way or another. That was a lot right there to digest to actually accept as a truth because it's somebody's truth. I'm I'm convinced that someone listening to the show, whether it be today or tomorrow, next week, next month, it's going to be someone's truth. And it brings me to a question. I didn't want to give away because you, you know, you've wrote a couple books, but this one particular book, the like I said, when I was doing your intro, the cover is a make you want to pick it up by itself. Well, I think some people it makes you want to pick it up. Other people, you know, makes kind of jump back, which is really what I want. And there's also a, a percentage that's that's offended yeah. by it, especially the stamp on it. <laughs> I mean, let's tell that. I told you, I tell the truth. You know, people look at it and they're offended. Well, by okay, it. tell tell the listeners the title of this book. This book, I feel, could change people's lives in one way or another it's always that option it's one way or another your title of your book let's talk about it well the book is called wife beater shirt optional there is no dress code for domestic mm. violence and on the front from the neck down is a man in you know the white tank tops that they call white mm -hmm. beater shirts and you know because we're in 2021 and gender roles are so different on the back you know there's a woman mm -hmm. in a wife beater but the term wife beater um especially for those don't know what the t-shirt you know that that's the term of what those t-shirts are called um you know the term can be very off-putting and the idea like oh you think i'd beat my wife you know and it's actually just the opposite because what the book is about is the myths and misconceptions about domestic violence that it's not the person um you know that you may think of and abuse doesn't have to be physical you know when i started writing the book the book was going to be a textbook mm. and because when I did my dissertation for my PhD, I did it on um, how licensed clinical professionals assess, diagnose, and treat victims of domestic violence and their knowledge of the impact of victimization. And that was in 2008. And the results were very disheartening, mm -hmm. to say the yeah. least, um, because they really didn't understand or know and were giving people all sorts of mental health diagnoses that were um, really unnecessary because they really were struggling with PTSD but didn't understand. Um, and then right before I got ready to publish it, the little voice in my head said, no, this has to be, you know, just for the general public. 
Um, it was when I wrote it, it was before, you know, all the social media narcissistic abuse and all that other stuff took off. And I'll get to that in a minute. But um, I really wanted people to know, you know, they know the legal definition of the physical violence and people now are starting to understand a little bit about emotional and mental abuse, um, you know, the term narcissistic abuse, I personally have an issue with um, because not everybody that's abusive is a narcissist. You know, sometimes, you know, they're just manipulative, controlling, battering people. And a narcissist, you need to have specific diagnostic criteria. One of the chapters in the beginning of the book is called Assholes and Bitches. Yeah. And I call it that. Because- <laughs> I was like, it took me away. I was like, I love one thing. It- and, I'll, and, and, I, and I hate to interrupt, but I, I, when I saw that, I was like, come on now. I was like, oh, shit, I'm not ready. And so I love that you got, you took different characters or, or different scenarios and gave them names, like real life names. And, you know, I was trying to figure out, like, are these real life stories? Is this just something you put together? They are. They're not. I, I mix the story so nobody's. But the reason I wrote assholes and bitches is because just because somebody's an ass or, you know, or somebody would think that their partner is a bitch doesn't mean they're a batterer. Just because you do something inappropriate, it's a pattern of mm. behavior. It's, you know, where one partner has control over the other person. Just because somebody does something that you don't like or is an ass does not mean that they're a narcissist or a batterer does they could be but you know just because they're connected doesn't mean they're Mm. the same thing and i think that's really important it's kind of now every time somebody does something that they don't like you know and it really takes away from people that really are in relationships with narcissists and true batters and that are petrified of their partner and they're, you know, afraid for their safety. They're afraid for their life. They're afraid for their children. Yeah. You know, I had the opportunity to go over the book. And I said, when I get the opportunity, I'm going to actually read it, read it, read it. Because it was interesting. I wanted to get some insight. And I think it was around maybe halfway through where I got through and the one question that people ask all the time then they have an answer without allowing anybody to give it to them is why do victims stay and leave we all think we know it growing up unfortunately I was a child that grew up in a domestic violence home and I thought it was different because my mother fought back my mother's from down south. My mother had a lot of brothers. So she grew up fighting brothers and stuff all the time. So it was almost like that's the way she thought it was supposed to be. But as a child, I knew it wasn't healthy. And I used to pray and and cry a lot and had to call the police thousands of times and things like that. But I told myself, that's not going to be my life. I don't want to be with anybody. I got to do all that with. I No. And so... I was very intentional to stay away from those type of relationships. The telltale sign, I believe, and I could be wrong, you're the expert, you tell me, but I believe we see signs that kind of warn us that this is the type of person we could potentially be dealing with. 
Well, people say if you grow up in an abusive home, then you're going to grow up being an, an abuser or a victim. And that's not always right. true. You know, it's like right. if your parents struggle with addiction and your grandparents, yes, there's, you know, with that, there's a genetic predisposition. So the deck is stacked against you, but nothing's 100%, mm -hmm. you know. And if, if you get exposed to the flu, you're more likely to get the flu if you've been exposed to it than somebody that isn't exposed to it. But you can be exposed to the flu and maybe you're not going to get right. it, right? Okay, well, growing up in a home where there's domestic violence, a lot of times, um, you know, that's that's what's normal, but it's very different than what's healthy. So if you are lucky enough or blessed enough to be exposed to other families, other people where you know that it, it every family isn't like that and that there are healthy relationships and there are loving situations and know that that exists and that's an option, then you can work towards that. Sometimes what, with a lot of the victims that I've worked with, both men and women, you know, they don't believe that there's such thing healthy relationships. They've never seen one and they believe that if they exist, they don't exist for them. Mm. That's sad. And, and it, it's heart wrenching. You know, so a lot of times, you know, and I used to say to people, you know, many, many years ago before the internet and all the stuff, even watching TV, I'm like, have you see, you know, a family that looks like the one that you would like to be in or that looks healthy or a relationship that can be a role model for you so you can have an idea what it'll look like. And they'd say, no, I'd say, what about TV shows you watch? Nope. And we would have to really work on finding or even creating what that would look like for them. Wow. You know, and then let's go back a little bit to why I wrote the book. Um, I've worked with so many people that have been in abusive relationships, but expected to look a certain way. So they're totally controlled and their relationship is very abusive and unhealthy, but because they're not being hit or because they think things like that don't happen to girls like me or guys like me, that this can't be me. I must have done something. It must be my fault. Yeah. yeah. And blame themselves um, rather than, you know, blaming the, the person that's being manipulative and controlling. Um, we talk about, you just asked me why they, why they stay, why yes. they leave. And, you know, if you, if you ask anybody that's, you know, uh, an advocate or a professional in domestic violence, you always get the same response. Why does everybody say, why does she stay? Or he, usually they say she, but why does she say, they never say, why does he hit her? So even in that, the idea is that the victim is doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's, there's the stigma of being a victim that's part of the reason, you know, and the, and the self-perception um, because of that, you know, victims more and more have options, especially women who, when I started doing this 30 years ago, gender roles were very different. You know, women weren't making the same money that men were. Um, especially women that were a little bit older that, you know, were almost a, a generation um, 
above, things were a little bit different. They stay for religious reasons. They made a vow to God. Um, they didn't want to break that vow. They have children. They don't want the kids to be from a broken family. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, one of the things when I train professionals, lawyers, um, doctors, DCF workers, that I think is really important that people understand and, and, and people in general, but especially people that are in, who are supposed to be the helping professions, people are so blaming of the victim with children that stays. And I'm talking about somebody that's in a, in a scary situation. Um, give me an example, give me an example of a scary situation in your opinion. A scary situation, um, uh, a partner that yells and scream and physically batters, throw things around the house, breaks things. Um, let's just, that's the scenario that I'm picturing. Cause right now I just happen to have one specific person in my mind. And that was the situation, Gotcha. you know, yelling, screaming, punching holes in the wall. Oh yeah. That's scary. You know, yeah, that's scary. especially, I mean, <laughs> especially, I mean, to you as the, as the, uh, you know, the victim, but more so to the children. Cause when you hear the right. elevation of a voice that frightens the average child alone. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, but let me give you a different perspective. And I'm not saying that, that they should stay, but again, it's perspective is more important than judgment. Cause like I told you the other day, I think judgment's the antichrist. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and I don't know about Michigan, but in Florida and many other states, they're doing joint parenting where it's 50 50. Okay? okay, so now the victim is going to divorce the abuser. Okay. Okay. So that, oh, you're following me. You're feeling me, girl. Mm. So now he's going to get the kids 50% of the time. And at least when she's there, she feels like she's protecting her kids. She can be there. She can watch them. And in her mind, she's protecting them from him. If, if she leaves him, then they're going to be with him 50% of the time where he may not even want them. He just doesn't want her to have them because they're the most important thing. So to punish her for leaving, he's going to say, well, you're never going to see your kids again, or I'm going to take the kids. Or even if he gets 50%, he's going to have those kids and she's not going to be able to protect them if she can't be. Wow. And that's, you know, and when you're on the outside, it's so easy for people to say, well, he or she should do this or that. Well, you shouldn't be making judgments if you don't have to live with the consequences of those decisions. Wow. I'm guilty of that. You just got me together because, yeah, yeah. I've made those decisions. I, I, I've said those things to people, you know. Um, it's always easier, I think, for us to outsider people to say what they should do. And I always tell people, until you're in that situation, you really don't know what you're going to do. And in your mind, because you're sound and you're, you're not going through it, it's easy to sit there and say, you know, okay. Just like if you had a refrigerator full of food, it's easy to say, well, I don't know what I'm going to have. I'm going to make me something versus a person that has to go over the cupboards and, and, water. Yeah, and they're like, oh my God, if I could find a can of beans and some crackers, that's a meal. So to judge prejudging, and I know that that's wrong to do. That's something I work on all the time. 
But I guess for me, I looked at it differently and angrily because I grew up. Well, and that's like that. not true. But, you know, interesting. Well, but we all have stuff and it's all attached. Interestingly enough, some of the biggest defenders of people telling people to leave are people that have done it. Well, I did it, so you should do it. And I think when we start shooting all over people, you know, it really affects their ability to move forward, especially a victim, because victims are people pleasers and they don't want anybody to be mad at them and they don't want the con they're afraid of the consequences and they don't want to disappoint anybody. So they try to do things to keep people happy. And when you ask why people stay, one of the other reasons that they stay is because if they left and went back where years ago, the average victim left and came back seven times before they left good. Um, hmm. Interestingly enough, research says the average, I don't know what an average victim or an average addict, not to be confused with a below or below average. Um, but the average addict relapses seven times before he or she gets sober for good. Wow. Um, you know, so it can, it's kind of addictive love sometimes too. But, you know, if, if I'm in a relationship and I leave and I come home to my family and they pay for things and they talk to me and while I'm home, I tell them all the things my partner did to me. And then I get honeymooned and, you know, it's all that too good to be true stuff. And I go, oh, this is the this is the partner that I fell in love with. Mm -hmm. You know, he or she didn't really mean it. They had too many beers. We're going to get counseling. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it, you know, this is the person I fell in love with. And I go back. Then what's going to happen is my family's going to get pissed. Yeah. And they're going to go, you chose that asshole over me. We did all this stuff for you and you had the nerve. So now my family's going to going to judge me. They may start you know, pulling away from me, which isolation is one of the big red flags that abusive partners do is really try to isolate you from your support system, from your family and your friends. And now the family is isolating. And what it does is it gives the abusive partner more power. And the next time I want to leave, it's going to be more difficult for me yeah. because I don't have support and depending how long I've been in the relationship, you know, I may not have a job. I may either one, I have a wealthy partner who can afford to, you know, support me. So I don't have to work as a way to, you know, keep me home. Right. Um, and people think, well, wealthy people can leave because, you know, they got lots of money. It's not like us poor people, but you don't think those credit cards get shut off right away. Ah. They, no access to money yeah. just because money doesn't mean you know and any money they have is just so they their abusive partner can track them so just because somebody has money doesn't mean they have access to money and you know i learned that with one of my favorite movies with jennifer lopez called enough, enough. that movie i will watch that i never get tired of watching enough there is so much power but so much truth and that's so many people's stories and i just said mm -hmm. you know that was something i learned she came she was married to that guy he had money had access he had connections with the police and all kind of things and the minute she decided to run and he cut her off like no access to credit cards or he tracked her then you froze her bank account and she had nothing and it's like and wow he's like well come back and things could be the way it was and and it's like, no, no, 
but then a lot of times when they, they get honeymoon, they come back and then they get punished for leaving. So they won't do that again. Mm-hmm. And when they get back after the honeymoon's over, it can be, you know, very dangerous. And when people keep telling victims to leave, people have to remember domestic violence, real domestic violence. And I'm not, again, not talking about an isolated incident. Legally, that's still domestic violence. Mm -hmm. But I'm talking about where one partner has all the control in the relationship and the other partner's really afraid, doesn't feel like he or she has a voice or a choice in a lot of things. One person always has to be right and has all the power. So when the other partner leaves, he or she is taking the control back. And that's when it's the most dangerous. 75% of victims that get killed, and in my experience, it's much higher. But research says 75, I've been watching in my state, you know, since I've been doing this. I sat on fatality review committees. Uh, Like you said, I do expert witness testimony to be the voice of, you know, and I've worked for both sides. I've done it for the for the victim and with the state's attorney i've done it in battered um spouse in murder cases for battered spouse syndrome i've done it when it was and when it wasn't just because somebody's you know been a victim of domestic violence and then they commit a murder doesn't mean that they've got battered spouse syndrome you know it's really about truth and not you know using things just to get a leg up in court um i personally have a real issue with that Um, And one of the things that I've struggled with working in domestic violence for so long, being an expert, is people think that if you understand domestic violence and you work in domestic violence, then that means you think everybody's a victim. And I totally, you know, have such a problem with that because everybody you know, isn't a victim. And there are a lot of people, a lot of women that will try to use that as a leg up in the court system. And that bothers me as much as anybody, because I think what it does is it really makes it unsafer for people really that really need the system that really, you know, injunctions and that kind of thing. People say, oh, you got to go get an injunction. Sometimes they can put a victim in more danger you know, and really understanding. And just because you're explaining another perspective doesn't mean you think everybody's a victim. That brings me to my next question. I was going to ask you that with you serving as an expert witness with domestic violence, sexual violent court cases, do you ever find it difficult to remain in fair judgment because you are able to see when people are manipulating and trying to use the system? Well, I don't because, um, you know, one of the things I struggle with being an expert, and again, I'm not very diplomatic or politically correct. Um, and I, I'm very aware that most experts, a lot of experts, I don't want to say most, but I've seen quite a few, are really guns for hire. You know, basically, you pay for their credentials to say, and they say what you, you know, they find a way to say what you want them to say. Let's tell the truth. Mm, gotcha. Gotcha. Well, and that's not true in every situation, but, you know, they look for somebody to support their side. Right. Right. And, and a lot of times the information is true, but there are some people that if you pay them enough, you know, that's, and whether or not that's the truth in, most situations it's very often the perception gotcha so i tell people and i say i hope i don't offend you but i i turn down more cases than i take 
because I tell people I have to read the stuff and really get an idea um, and that you're paying me to evaluate the person or to do the thing. And if I don't believe what you think I should find, then I won't testify. Wow, that's great. I'm, I'm happy to hear that because there are a lot of people, you know, that, that will just take them. They're there for the money and they, yeah. you know, they don't. Well, my care. integrity is not for sale. Say that again, Dr. Laura, for those that are not listening in the back. My integrity is not for sale. Wow. See? With us going through this pandemic, here in Michigan, there has been a very high spike, not with just domestic violence, but child abuse, um, child neglect, things like that. Out there in Florida, have you noticed a spike in domestic violence since we've been going through the pandemic? Nationwide, there's, you know, and I don't know where the statistic came from. Mm-hmm. I want to vomit all over myself when I say the research is saying seven. It, there's a 700% spike. Jeez. You know, I don't know if that's because people are paying attention. I don't know exactly what they were measuring, but that's what the research. As far as the domestic violence, it makes perfect sense to me because, first of all, remember we just said, It's about power and control. Mm. And right now, people are feeling very out of control. Um, You know, they feel very helpless. And, you know, they've lost jobs. They've lost income. They've lost the ability to go out of their house in some places. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of of states are on lockdown. You know, you um, you can't go to a restaurant. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. Um... Yeah. You know, I see a lot of people coming to Florida from other places because, you know, unfortunately, you know, we're very lax here. Yeah. You know, it, you know yes, people are wearing um, masks more often than not. But, you know, other than that, everything's open. You know, you it's kind of business as usual in a lot of ways. Gotcha. Uh, but, you know, as far as the domestic violence... You know, one, you've got, I've seen in my, even in my practice with a lot of people, the day drinking of people that were already drinking is higher and people that didn't used to that are feeling out of control. I've had so many clients say to me, Laura, I just wanted to take the edge off. Mm. So they started drinking during the day and then are drinking you know, all day and are feeling very out of control and are starting to get um, uncomfortable with their own drinking and or drugging. Um, That being said, before I go on, and you might have to put me back on track because I tend to, you know, go off track and sometimes I forget where I was. Oh, no, we're Um, good. But I've always been doing it. It's not an age thing. But I have to say this (laughs) because people, people like to blame it on, you know, Bud, Jack and Johnny. You know, the boys, the, the boys are so violent. You know who the boys are? No. Budweiser, Jack Daniels, and Johnny Walker. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, and what do people say? You know, I sorry, I didn't mean it. I had too many beers. It was because I was drunk or, you yeah. know, or high. Although a lot of people, you know, also call weed anger management. But that's another conversation. But, you know, I did it because I had too many beers. Yeah. But this is... The, the alcohol doesn't cause the domestic violence. It, what it does is it removes the filter. 80% of the time, 
that somebody is arrested for domestic violence, one or both people have been drinking or drugging. Mm. Because what happens is the filth is removed. So the lethality, how dangerous they are and how violent they become definitely goes up because mm-hmm. filth has been removed. But somebody that's not manipulative and abusive and controlling you know is unlikely to be violent with their partner when they're drinking and if the alcohol caused the domestic violence then everybody that drank would batter their partners and we all know a happy drunk yeah you know some yeah. of us even are a happy drunk yeah. you know but yeah. you know if the alcohol caused somebody to batter their partner there would be no happy drunks everybody mm-hmm. would get violent and that's not but it's easier to blame the alcohol than to blame the person and a lot of times people say but when he or she isn't drinking they're the nicest person in the world on in the world well that's because all that stuff is you know inside a lot of times the the verbal abuse and some of the other stuff happens but really once the filters removed that's when you know the the physical and sometimes sexual violence um really um really will escalate but it's important to know that just because a partner is only abusive while he or she is drunk or high isn't abusive because he or she is drunk or high gotcha now that i didn't know but i when you when you were saying this and expressing and explaining it I started to think back to um, one of uh, my mom's boyfriends back in the day um, that lived with us and they had a, a really turbulent relationship. He became that way whenever he would drink. And it would be like, he's the best thing ever when he doesn't drink. But when he becomes intoxicated, anything's liable to come out of his mouth and his temperament would totally change like night and day. That I do recall from being a child where, you know, I would slowly but surely pour out his alcohol. I'd find it and pour out a little bit, not too much, where he would think either I was drinking it or I was doing something with it. But I would think, well, if I pour it out right after he's been drinking, he might think he drink all of that. And then he might go a while without getting some more. Then when that new bottle comes in, I'm thinking, oh, God, here we go again. So well, to, interesting. To you say that is interesting. And it's interesting that you say that because I've worked with a number of victims whose partners get really come home really drunk and get really, you know, loud and, you know, screaming and they get afraid. And what they do is they'll give them more alcohol because mm-hmm. that way they know they'll pass out and then they can be safe for the rest of the night. That's so sad. That's very sad. It is very sad, but it's very common, much more common than people realize. Do you agree with the statistics or the myth, I should say, that men are abused and don't report it? Years ago, again, yes, I do. Years ago, many years ago, like I'm trying to think like 30 years ago when I first started doing this, maybe I think it was 32 years ago, actually, um, the FBI, the statistics were 
90, I got, wait, I got to do my math. It's like, it was like, and I might be off one or two. It was like 94%, 90, 97% um, men battering women. And a lot of that was what they used to call traditional roles where, you know, the men was the head of the household and the male privilege and, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, and then 2% was um, female to male and the other i think there's one left one was gay and lesbian battering you know and, mm -hmm. and now people are really starting to look at gay and lesbian um battering is battering but you know in gay and lesbian relationships they used to say oh that's just a cat fight oh it's just two guys getting in a brawl but intimate partner violence is intimate partner violence regardless of you know what your sexual what your um sexual orientation is absolutely um, i agree you know and I, there was a movie back in the 80s called men don't tell that was about a man that was abused and one of the reasons that men didn't tell back then or i mean i think even now um i think it's because there are um programs online there are support groups you know we, we say a lot of negative things and i agree with a lot of it about social media and the internet and you know all that stuff and how everything's changed but mm -hmm. the positive is the universality and the the ability for people to connect and not feel alone when they're going through something and to find support um so i think men used to and and i've seen it men used to get Oh, what's the matter? Big bad man can't handle a little woman. And that's actually just the way people would say it to them. You know, they either wouldn't take them seriously. They wouldn't believe them. You know, and in my experience, you know, yeah, they look at big guys, but women, you like wep, especially knives, will start pulling weapons. You know, will try to run guys over. I, I've worked with two that I can think of off the top of my head. One did have a male partner, but I've worked with two men that their partners, one had a female partner, one had a man partner, male partner, who tried to run him over with a car. Oh, wow. You know, I don't care how big a guy you are. Somebody tries to run you over with a car, you know, doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. So wow. I, I absolutely um, do believe that. So let me ask you. And especially, wait, can I, can I add one Absolutely. more caveat? I think, especially with people that are younger. Okay. Because gender roles have changed so much, okay. both gender roles and and the fact that you know, um, even even people thinking of themselves as gender fluid. What used to be traditional gender roles in relationships and even you know personalities and stereotypes i think are finally you know morphing and changing and i think because of that all of that has changed as well i was going to ask you your thoughts about that like do you find that because i was a couple years ago one of my siblings went to high school with a young couple and the both parents uh, the parents of the girl the parents of the boy knew that they were in a very domestic violent field relationship from middle school and they so 
that, oh, they're just going through the motions, their puppy love, they'll get over it. They got into high school. Everyone knew, including the parents, that this boy was abusive to this girl. And so he would hit on her and things like that. And so finally, they were at an event, some party, and then, you know, he was going after her and she ended up pulling a knife and she stabbed him and he died. And they're in high school. They were in high school. Because I remember I went to the funeral. It was very sad. And so, um, although both sides knew, the girl's family had to move out of state because the boy's family was like death threats, all kind of things. And I'm thinking like, you guys were, both sides were wrong. If you knew that these kids, first of all, they're kids. You still control where your daughter or son goes they live in your house they're under your rules or well, the average person does parent i would think you know that this young man is being abusive to your daughter or vice versa because it could go both ways but in this instance it was the guy was very abusive i love her i'm just so jealous he ended up dying they ended up moving away and it was just like but i'm sure that changed her life as well but what in your expert opinion what could have what could have been done from a parent's perspective knowing that you guys have even come together and had a family conversation what could have been done that could have maybe changed the dynamics of the outcome okay well first of all without any blaming you know we don't know what normal looked like in either one of those families mm-hmm we don't know how the parents behaved. Mm-hmm. We don't know if there was violence and that they had been so desensitized to the violence mm-hmm. that, you know, what the, what they thought the kid was doing compared or what they knew about didn't seem as significant. Um, and, you know, mom or dad, depending on if one of the parents was controlling, um, could have been afraid of the other parent to speak up mm. so there's some of that we at least on one of the sides i can't imagine that wouldn't have been true on one of the sides if not both of them right uh, because again my belief is normal is what you're used to and it's usually not healthy mm. okay agree. so we don't know what their normal was if they didn't want to step in um, you know, and really what had happened, there are so many variables that we don't know about. The other thing is in today's day and age, if so many people knew and if a teacher knew, you know, they have mandated reporters and because um, the child is a minor, um, if the child, again, it has to be bruises because being, I mean, I don't know, it's different in different mm-hmm. states. But if a child is, is having bruises due to physical violence, it's it's considered a law enforcement issue if it's not a primary caretaker. Mm-hmm. And that but if if the parent knows and doesn't report it, then there's there's a something called failure to protect, which is actually why D, the here they call it the Department of Children and Families, they call it children's services, child mm-hmm. welfare different things in states but they're pulling children right and left for what they call failure to protect that if if an abusive parent stays with um 
if a non-abusive parent stays with an abusive parent, either who's abusing the child or domestic violence and doesn't remove the children from that situation, the state will come in and remove the children and they call it failure to protect. So, um, you know, with child abuse, one of the things that could have happened, and again, you know, depending on the the situation, uh, what they knew, we can't really talk about this in specifics because we don't have enough. You have to, you can't just look at that one thing. You have to look at the whole mm-hmm. picture. You know, what did this kid? Ha- it's unlikely, but did he have mental health issues? Was he, you know, um, you know, was it just jealous or that he was controlling and felt like he was losing control of her and thought she was going to break up with him? Right. And he escalated. I mean, there are so many things that we don't know. And I think a lot of times, you know, there's this sense of, of control and knowledge and power. So people want to say this or that because then it makes sense. And when things don't make sense, it feels so random. It gets scary that, well, if it could happen to them, it could happen to me. So I have to come up with a reason that that can't be true. But the truth is, sometimes we just don't know. Got it. Got it. What advice would you give to someone that may be listening or know someone that they would love to hear this interview what advice would you give to a person that's in a domestic violence relationship right now okay if you're the person in the relationship the advice I always give the same advice trust your gut even if you don't trust yourself or your brain trust your gut your gut will never steal you wrong and I've never worked with never which is I know a lot because you should say you know, seldom or hardly ever, but I have never in all my years of doing this um, had somebody say to me, damn that guy. It's like, even when I first met him or her, I felt it and I didn't, or I was going to leave, but something in my gut, you know, leaving can be more dangerous than staying in the short run. And if somebody's telling you to leave or something and it doesn't feel safe trust your gut you know your partner and where you are in that situation better than anyone and wait until you create a safety Mm. plan you know make sure and if you don't know how to do it you can call a domestic violence hotline there are 800 numbers there are shelters in every state and they're not these dilapidated old buildings that you know are unsafe many of them are, are very nice you can um they're they're generally free i don't know in all the states so i'm I'm kind of afraid to hesitant to say something um many of them have non-residential counseling so even if you are staying in a relationship that's that's abusive but you want to understand the effects of the emotional or the mental um violence and you know its impact or how you can protect yourself how to create a safety plan you know do that but know what's best for you and trust your gut got it wow well here's my last question for you for this evening you had mentioned in one of your parts in your book fight or flight response can you expound on that 
Well, you know, they call it fight or flight, which means when somebody is in a traumatic situation, and by a traumatic situation, that means, um, you know, a crisis situation where they feel in fear of their safety or their life. Um, it feels life-threatening that something horrible is happening and there's nothing they can do to stop or prevent it. Okay, so that's really what I'm talking about. So when they say fight or flight, then people either fight, and we know what mm -hmm. that looks like, you know, they put up mm -hmm. their dukes, you know, or flight, which means to run away, you know, and those are people that when something happens, they just, you know, they run. <laughs> but really, there, there's a third one called freeze. Oh, really? Uh, hold on, I'm, I'm still going. Yeah, the freeze. And um, and the thing about fight, flight, freeze is you don't get to pick which one you are. You know, your body goes. This is this is a biological, neurological, nature-given response. So you go on automatic pilot. You don't get to pick. Mm. So. Freeze is like in nature, it's the animal playing dead or that, that I call it the deer in the headlights look where you just kind of sit there, stand, you know, sit there, stand there, lie there. Yeah. You know, did you ever see the movie? Did you ever see the movie Ray? Yes. About Ray Charles? Yes. Okay. Remember when he sees his brother yes. drowning and he just stands yes. there? That's the free. That was so traumatizing. He was just standing there watching it and he froze. He was so traumatized that he physiologically couldn't mm, move. Right. And that's why he could never forgive himself. And that's where the somatic blindness came from, uh, uh, seemingly. Um, but, you know, it's funny. I went to a bank robbery to help them process at the tellers to process the the trauma of the robbery and the, it, it's interesting because the female teller ran out after the guy and you know got the license plate and got all the stuff and everybody felt like she helped and the there was a 20 year old male teller and he was so embarrassed and emasculated which totally was not his fault and i finally got him to understand because he went into freeze mode he just became paralyzed with it and just stood there and couldn't move and didn't mm -hmm. do anything and he's like well why didn't i help and i had to explain to him that was free so they say fight fight freeze but they've recently identified a fourth one and we see this a lot with victims and especially with texting this one really especially for domestic violence really hurts um victims in court okay because the fourth one is fawn you know it's like to fawn all over somebody and you know just to you know make nice and you know tell them everything they want to hear and do things it becomes a survival technique to keep the peace wow and then they say well you texted him well you said you loved him oh you said that you know and you you were talking well but some of that for some people that's a way to stay safe right right so again it's easy on the outside to judge behaviors but if you haven't been in those you know or even not to understand because it could be but if somebody says but i had to do that there's a there's a chance they're telling the truth and it may not be 
you know, the lawyer's truth or the judge's truth, but that doesn't mean it's not the victim's Absolutely. truth. Wow. And I, we need to start believing people, even if we don't understand where they're coming from. And even, it doesn't mean believe everybody, because the truth is not everybody tells the that's truth. That's true. <laughs> now that that's true. <laughs> but... You know, and I think that's where they think, oh, you believe everyone. You think everyone's a bit. No, but just because something, a behavior might not make sense to me. If somebody explains it to me, then I'm going to listen to them. And if what they says makes sense and you look at the whole picture and somebody's really afraid and they're texting, maybe they're, they're doing it because they're trying to appease somebody. Mm. Because that's that's how, and that's not about sucking up. That's not about manipulation. That's about staying safe. Wow. That is a mouthful. That's that's a mouthful. And I think would it be safe to say that they almost go into survival mode because they're saying what needs to be said to calm their victimizer down. Um, they're, 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 they're doing what they feel is the best thing to do in that time frame, in that situation. Is that safe to say that? Absolutely. You know, interestingly enough, statistically, African-American women used to have, get killed more than white women. Really? And one of, I, I don't know that that's still true, but when I first started doing the many years ago, African, and the reason for that was because African-American women very often would fight mm. back and, you know, would challenge the control where white women tradition, and this is more traditionally, culturally, this isn't with everybody. This is just a very, you know, kind of um, generalized statement you know, tended to do more, be more compliant, you know, whatever you want, and didn't seem to challenge their partners as much. Gotcha. Wow. And it was really that challenging and challenging that control that made it more dangerous. Hmm. I could see that. I could see that. Um, You remember the movie The Burning Bed? I do. I watched that so many times as a child growing up. And I thought that was going to be the truth that I would have grown up understanding and seeing. I thought that was going to eventually be my mom's truth. I'm glad it wasn't, but I really thought it was going to be my mother's truth. But maybe the fear that that was going to be the truth made you go to the polar opposite and helped you to find the polar opposite of that because you couldn't stop it from being her truth but you stopped it from being your truth Mm. because she made sure that you saw what you didn't want yeah yeah so by knowing what you didn't want helped you to know what you did want Hmm. I never looked at it that way. That's certainly true. And and she gave you the gift of making you a survivor. Wow. Hmm. You know, you walk through fire. I mean, and that that gave you the passion and the fire and 
you know, really, you know, made you a, a survivor and um, gave you the grit to be as successful as you are. I receive that, Dr. Laura. I do. I really do. Wow. Woo. I wasn't certainly ready. I do have to say I have truly, truly enjoyed our interview. And I want to have you come back if you will bless my podcast show. I It would be a pleasure. Oh, awesome. I definitely want to tackle an area that I know that you are very familiar with. And it's very relevant. Human trafficking. It's another one of my passions. That, my friend, is a topic. Not doing it, eradicating it, just to be clear. Got it, got it. Yes, got it. We definitely have to touch touch on that. Um, it's so prevalent. And, and as I told you the other day when I had the chance to speak with you, I was so... I, I Well, I didn't tell you this part, but I really feel that I had encountered, and I'll save it for when we talk, but I really feel like I encountered some people that were up to no good and saw me what they thought would have been a victim. And so just my street smarts and just the way I think, I think it helped me. But we'll get into that one when we talk on, on that topic. But I will share this part. I was so hurt to know I had visited an establishment probably several times that was probably five buildings down or you know it was in the strip mall so it was like five doors down where they actually had housed a couple of women for human trafficking services out of there it was busted by the FBI and everybody I had no idea and I had went five doors down several times and never knew it well, I think that's why, you know, we have to be so careful about stereotyping and pigeonholing and what we think people, what we think things look like, because they look so different than we think they do. And very often they're right. That's how that it can be right under our nose, because we think, well, that can't be it because it's supposed to look like that. Well, supposed to, according to who, you know, people have no idea how prevalent human trafficking is. Mm. And the thing is with drugs, drugs you sell once. With human trafficking, you can sell a person over and over and over again. Wow. And unfortunately, it's exceptionally lucrative. Wow. And that's where you get people that, you know, don't really care about other people or their feelings um they just care about the about the profits and um Hmm. there are no words to describe it's not only heart-wrenching it's soul-wrenching and what it does to victims is far beyond anything that anyone can imagine Well, I have, but that's, that's for the next time. Absolutely. Cause we're going to get in on that. I'm going to, I'm going to come up with my questions and do some research and definitely have you back on. I want to hear your perspective, your expertise on it. 
I know that that's an area that you, you know, you specialize in and it's worldwide. It's not just here in Detroit, Michigan, it's all over. And when I talked with you, you said it's happening out there. What did you say that was Florida? Like maybe like one of the Florida. number four, maybe. Yeah. Florida is one of the top, top four. Yeah, states. Wow. Wow. And, yeah. and Florida, we're visiting. Florida, California, Texas, and New York are, are generally, you know, the top four. The places that we all dream to visit. Florida, New York, California, Texas. Texas, yeah, last on the list, but Florida, New York, California, definitely. So, so scary. It is. Well, you know, and we also have the perception that, you know, the of the we know about the the sexual the domestic servitude and the you know i i don't even i hesitate calling it prostitution because it's not prostitution it's human trafficking which is different than prostitution but doing the same kind of service but um it's also huge in the hotel and motel industry and in the restaurant industry and the farm industry because it's cheap labor wow much and with a lot of men and boys it's not just women and it's not just adult women it's a it's a lot of children and it's both males and females hmm. i always thought to myself once I realized, like, you know, there's not enough bodies accounted for for all these people that's missing. And I said, there's somewhere right under our noses being held against their will, but able to walk outside like you and I, but afraid to go home or threatened. And I remember um, I worked with a young lady who lived in a high-rise apartment in a, in a suburb area by me. And she said that there was a real life pimp that worked that lived not worked I'm sorry lived in the penthouse of her apartment building and she said that there was always these different women there and she said you know I just thought he was a party guy like always having party and all these guys and then she found out um she came home and they had the building uh uh, sealed off where you couldn't enter and you couldn't get out and so she was like asking what's going on and they said that there was a standoff with this guy at the penthouse and the police he was a known drug trafficker and a, a known pimp and she's like oh my god so he ended up he, he had been in prison before but he ended up taking his own life he didn't want to go back so he ended up killing himself but um yeah she said to know that that was in the building in my building and all these young ladies guys coming and going you know and she says I had no idea it was people girls up there held against their will but you know I was like wow and that's things you see on the lifetime show you know you don't really think that things happen right there in your neighborhood or happen to people you know but it really does well and a lot of times now they're doing that stuff in real fancy neighborhoods because you know, people don't think it happens in those neighborhoods. Yeah. So they're less likely to look in those neighborhoods um, or some of the people that live in those neighborhoods um, are partaking of the services. Yep. And uh, 
you know, don't want people to wonder why they're in other neighborhoods. So, you know, again, we have to let go of the stereotypes and the us and them mentality. Anything can be anyone. It's really about who you are, not about what you have that determines, you know, what's going on. I agree. I have so enjoyed our interview tonight. I thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you're rearranging some things so you could come on the show and I'm grateful. Well, it was it was my pleasure. And I'm definitely if, happy if, to come back. If one person heard it and reaches out, um, please feel free to put any of my information at the end of the podcast. If anybody um, wants to confidentially reach out to me, has a question, you know, needs, um, you know, a little chat, can't do counseling forever. But, you know, if somehow I can point you in a direction or you have a question or you need something, Please feel free to reach out to me through phone or email or text. You know, if you feel unsafe, remember about the electronic leash and make sure you delete it after we talk. You know, don't put yourself in danger. Go to the library um, where they have a computer if you're in a place that you can go to a library, um, you know, and, and use a computer that won't be tracked. Make sure you pay attention and stay safe. Um, but feel free, any of the listeners feel free, um, whether it's domestic violence or something else, if you did I lose you, Dr. Laura? Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, I lost you for a minute. I'm sorry. The last thing you said, feel free. And I lost you. I'm like, oh, no. Feel free. I said the only foolish question is the one that goes unasked. Absolutely. Can you let our listeners know your phone number, the best number they can reach you, and your email address? My phone number is area code 239-822-1699. And my email is drlaura, L-A-U-R-A, at drlauracounseling, C-O-U-N-S-E-L-I-N-G dot com. And my website is drlauracounseling.com. And she's located in Fort Myers, Florida. You moved into a new location, correct? On First Street, correct? I did. six. Yeah, about six months ago. Okay. okay. So you heard it live and direct right here from Dr. Laura herself. You don't have to live in Florida. If you want to reach out, you want to ask any questions or you want to follow up on anything that you heard this evening, or you just, as I said, you, you, you want to talk to someone who is an expert in the things we touched on and many more areas. Look her up on her website. You can follow her on social media. What's your handle on Instagram, Dr. Laura? Um, at counseling doctor, doctor spelled out. Okay. So, okay, so it's counseling D-O-C-T-O-R. Gotcha. So just the D. Got it. And this will also be on the um, site um, under the show tab. It'll be up here for you guys to listen, refer to. You could also email me or you could DM me, whatever it is you need to do. And I could, if you are afraid or embarrassed or ashamed or whatever it looks like, make sure you reach out. 
she's there to help you. I'm there to help you. And there are so many other outlets out there. Even if you want to be pointed in the direction in your area, I could take it upon myself to say that I would be more than happy to try to help you do that. There's always someone there waiting to hear from you. Don't think that you are alone because you're not. You're not alone. And interesting, I think before we close, I just wanted to say, you know, today um, is Martin Luther King Day. Mm -hmm. And he found his voice and, you know, had a dream and spoke it and moved forward. You know, now is the time that a lot of us can use our voice and, you know, speak up for if you're not in a situation that doesn't mean this doesn't apply to you. You can be here um, for somebody just because a situation, any kind of situation doesn't apply to you doesn't mean it doesn't apply to somebody and you be there for them. And then when you have a situation, because we all do, it's part of the human experience, then you know, then someone, it may not be that same someone, but someone can be there um, for you. So find your voice and talk your talk and walk your walk. I like that. (laughs) I like that. I think that first one is going on a shirt. Find your voice. I like that. Mm -mm -mm. Well, thank you, Dr. Laura. I enjoyed you. I will be in touch. And I definitely, definitely want you back on the show. All righty. Take care. You do the same. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.